0: costs to originate keep rising even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome everyone. Today I'm joined again by lead analyst Logan Motoshami to talk about mortgage rates and what the next six to eight months might look like. First, here's a word from our sponsor. This podcast is brought to you by PennyMac TPO. In collaboration with their broker partners, they designed Power Plus, a next-generation broker technology platform that offers a fast, intuitive interface with features and functionalities to empower a best-in-class lending experience. With an enhanced guided workflow, the loan process is more efficient, accurate, manageable, and convenient. The platform speeds up the process at every step, minimizing the time brokers spend on the platform. At PennyMac, being tech-forward and human-focused is why greatness lives here. PennyMac TPO is a division of PennyMac Loan Services, LLC, Equal Housing Lender, NMLS ID 35953, licensed by the Department of Business Oversight under the California Residential Mortgage Lending Act. Conditions and restrictions may apply. Logan, welcome back to the podcast.
1: It is wonderful to be here, Sarah.
0: Wonderful to have you here. So this week, we are recording this um, a little bit early. We're at the NBA uh, Annual Convention and Expo, Conference and Expo um, in Nashville. So that has been great. We've gotten to meet so many people. Really fun. We had a a housing where I had a big party on Monday night and just walking through the halls, meeting a lot of people who really love this podcast.
1: Yes. uh, It is good to hear the good feedback. And again, uh, as always, uh, when we talk about our stuff, we always want to back it up with data and i think people appreciated the historical references and adjusting to what's going on uh in this uh, uh economic expansion cycle and recession red flag model and demographics and rates and try to incorporate everything to kind of connect the dots I, I, it's good to see that people appreciated then to just do the traditional blood and guts uh kind of uh, world we live in so that that was a is very good to hear that because again as all as always economics is done right it should be boring it's not designed to be this uh sexy hot storyline but uh, you could kind of make it somewhat entertaining just make sure you connect the dots because you always want to be the detective not the troll
0: not the troll. Yeah, we we love getting feedback from people and it's even more fun in person. So let's jump in and give them some more great information. Let's talk first about Case Schiller.
1: Yes, uh, Case Shiller Home Price Index. And again, with a lot of my work recently, um, I always try to get people to go back to 2018 and 19 uh, with home price growth. Uh, I know a lot of people like to reference either 2008 or 1994 or the early part of the uh, 1980s, but I'd like to use 2018 and 19 for this reason. When we look at historical inventory data, total inventory is still very low. It's very low on nominal terms, population adjusted terms, adjusting to households, whatever it is, it's still very low. Monthly supply of existing homes, still very low. Um, what we had in from 2020 to 2022 was, you know, we ran into this bigger demographic patch. I've never been a housing sales boom person, but if you increase demand when inventory was pretty much at four decades lows, there is a potential of inventory collapsing in a time where demand should be rising. This is why I've always said the people that have talked about population growth falling for many years and demand should fall with that or the silver tsunami, all these people have been wrong for well over a decade, right? Right because they don't forecast. When you don't forecast, you can just Mickey Mouse make anything up you you want to to talk about your narrative. But here what occurred was in 2020, inventory not only collapsed. We had no seasonal inventory push. That's a problem. This is why toward the end of summer and going into fall of 2020, it was like, "Wait a second, this is not a good thing." Right? Um it didn't really matter to the housing price crash people because they just moved the goalposts to forbearance, right? Hence why the, the term forbearance crash bros were created. 2021, full stage alert, home price that could accelerate. And this is why it's really critical for anyone to put an affordability model index to your work so you know when the uh, inflection point is. Very simple here, years 2020 to 2024, as long as prices only grew, high end 23% in five years, we'd be okay. That was done by 2021. Okay. So we've had one, one of the index or one of the variables already do a red flag. The second one was, you know, back at the summer of 2020, well, what can cool down housing a 10 year yield above 1.94%, right? And again, I forecast my stuff for over 10 years, from when I started to do the bond market forecasting in 2015 to 2020, I talked about we're just going to be in a channel between one6 to 3%, roughly three and a quarter to 4.75%. we have got to the outer ranges of those uh, areas briefly during that period. But here, because of the global pandemic, rates went lower, bond yields went lower. But in 2022, part of the forecast was, if global yields and i know it's it's hard to say this because people don't understand when i talked about japan and germany bond yields when they rise that means really global yields have to rise and then we can break above 1.94%. that is the second one. you that is the inflection point prices bond yields rates together. that's was march of 2023. so basically from april and on the two variables that i've highlighted in my work consistently both came into effect, which means that January and February, and March pricing was still way too hot. And, and I say this in regards to the 2022 forecast of, you know, big price deceleration, 5.2 to 6.7. It's going to be too low this year. Uh, home prices, even with the uh, decline in prices we're, see, we're going to see now, uh, is it, not enough to get the total year uh, uh, below that. So price growth way too hot early on now when rates rise what we've always talked about here is if you look back in 2013 14 you look back in 2018 19 whenever rates rise the growth rate of pricing falls it always has happened post 2010 nothing abnormal about that except now it's a little bit different than the 2018 and 19 period when mortgage rates went to five percent in 2018 every housing bubble crash boy and girl that i've known went all in right because they see the new home sales index. I saw the monthly supply spike there. They said home prices have to fall 20 or 25%. These people just make up these percentages, by the way, right? They always have these nice round numbers 10, 15, 20%. Whatever. Wasn't the case. Affordability wasn't hit as bad. And we saw this in the purchase application data. Purchase application data only had three mild, I mean, I'm talking like negative one or 2% year over year declines back then. So, uh, you're talking from a group of people that don't track data, or don't have any forecasting models, just make up stuff. But here it's different, right? See, the price growth, uh, the 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 23 price growth model broke, and then the 10 year yield broke. So you put them together, you have a major affordability hit. The entire savagely unhealthy housing market was based on the principle that home prices were accelerating into 2022. That means you're going to have another year of price gains. And then if rates go up higher, since the price growth model already broke, it's going to be savagely unhealthy. Now, this was basically based on a premise of just, uh, uh, mortgage rates getting to four to 5%. Uh, uh, so my price growth model decelerating from four to 5% was actually just, or getting back down to 5.2% was just based on rates, maybe four to 5%. We are above 7% now. So what we've seen in the data is, 4 to 5% mortgage rates didn't really impact demand as bad as people thought. 5 to 6% as it was when we headed to 6 and a quarter definitely did. 5 to 6% also changed the new listings data as well. 6 to 7% really uh it impacts everything. So as the year is going on, the growth rate of pricing should fall. It wasn't falling earlier in the year because you know, caseholder data lags and we rates, rates were too low back then, but it, we're starting to get to these areas where we really see the impact of rates and pricing together, right? Remember, 2022 is going to be a price growth year. And then we had a m- massive, massive increase in mortgage rates uh, at that period. So what we want to do is looking forward is how does this marketplace change? Because the inventory data isn't really changing. you look at the NAR data, there's not much growth. We're not back to 2019 levels. And the reason I use 2019 levels, I think, I believe 100% that's a more functioning marketplace. That's the pre-four decade lows of total inventory. But still, uh, days on market were over 30 days. Things were things were normal. Pricing was normal. Real home prices went negative 2019. My, my joyous time in housing was 2019 pricing because... Days on market was above 30. We had real uh, negative real home prices. It was a balanced market. We're not there yet, but we're heading there, right? So as long as rates stay up at this levels, even though inventory levels are low, the homes that are selling quickly, right? We still had teenager prints all throughout the year are those that are priced right because there's parts of the United States of America that are well below 2019 levels. There's parts of the U.S. that are above 2019 levels, and then there's parts of the U.S. kind of right in between there. There's where the pricing uh, uh, data gets hit harder. So we see this Boise, we see it in Phoenix, we see it in San Jose. Those kind of markets are more susceptible to the pricing. They have to basically start to price their homes accordingly to where the demand is. Effective pricing models, right? The existing home sales market isn't as efficient as the new home sales market. So we're seeing this start to take uh, a hold in the data it just took a little bit longer than I thought. It took also higher mortgage rates than I thought. I thought four to 5% data would do this, like we saw back in, uh, uh, 2018, 19. That didn't really impact it as much, but definitely five to six, six to 7%. Uh, uh, the affordability hit and the metrics get hit really hard. And this also goes back to the 2019 article that I wrote, you know, is housing the bubble. My, all my affordability index models go off. Once rates get about 5.875%, right? And that goes all the way back down to 2013 when I talked about that first. We're here, right? We're finally here, and you're seeing the market pricing effectively work itself out. Those homes that are selling faster are pricing their homes right. The other ones, stingy, right? We always talk about home sellers or existing home sellers are stingy. They just take longer to realize that. And then on top of everything else, The new listings data is declining year over year in a faster fashion. So if you wanted to understand the savagely unhealthy housing market, it is 2022 in every essence and form we could possibly imagine, uh, because everything that could in theory go wrong, went wrong, and it got worse progressively throughout the year. And we have a very dislocated marketplace. uh, And again, we have stingy sellers, and this has always been the case past 2010, and uh, we do not want to see new listings data decline year over year in the spring of uh, 2023. We need f- a functioning market needs traditional listings to grow and you need traditional new listings data to grow. So as of now, it's not happening, but I'm hopeful that uh, in 2023 we can get traditional growth and then the effective pricing model gets more fluid and more functional.
0: You are not the only person who feels that way. 2023, we're all like, fingers crossed, this is going to be a better year for housing, right? And so here we are at this conference. We're talking to people. We're asking them, you know, what are you thinking about? What's top of mind? It's easy, easy. It's mortgage rates because this holds the key to so much what you just outlined. So let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, MBA is predicting sub sub five percent mortgage rates by the second quarter of 2024 that seems like a really long time from now um, that's that's how they forecast it and I know you know giving that giving that sort of uh news at this conference is I mean that's that's what they're trying to give people the information right not great um, not great news for everybody what do you think I mean we have other people you know online talking about no we're we're gonna get back to five percent maybe quicker than that when you look at it what are the things that could get us to that five percent?
1: So my work always revolves around the bond market and I typically do that only once a year toward the end of December i I hear people talking about we can, we could get to five percent mortgage rates quickly. So this is the this is the the best case probability of that happening uh let's say just over the next uh 6 to 8 months. Let's just use that time frame. The the 6 recession red flag model historically speaking, whenever that occurs, typically bond markets and mortgage rates fall. It's now not occurring because the labor market is not breaking. Right. The honey badger labor market. Right. The, the U.S. Uh, uh, retail sales, industrial production and labor market is still firm enough to keep us out of a general recession. And again, when people talk about recessions, uh, everyone has to know what their their own uh, forecast is. You can't just take negative GDP two quarters. That's that's not how it works. For me, it's very easy. The housing market is in a recession because demand is falling. Uh, production is falling. Uh, jobs are being lost and incomes are falling. We don't have that in the general uh, U.S. uh, economy. We have that in the housing market. So if the labor market starts to get weaker and weaker, and we've talked about this with the Fed, I believe the Federal Reserve will change a lot of their talking points once the uh, jobless claims data four-week moving average gets above 323%, or 323,000. That means the job loss recession is here. Uh, It's in their own forecast, actually, for this to occur next year. Uh, the growth rate of inflation is falling. Again, part of our work, right? So what is it? Rent, rent inflation, right? And we, you know, going on CNBC in September on the CPI day said, hey, listen, rent inflation has legs here, Uh, but it should be a much different story in 2023, especially the second half of the year, right? The growth rate of inflation cannot sustain itself through shelter inflation. We already see the data getting Weaker and softer in the other data lines, CPI will lag. I noticed one of the Fed members daily talked about this, that, uh, okay, we do realize that there's a lag impact in shelter inflation, which means they're already kind of have that mindset uh, going out. So they're talking now about we are toward the end of our rate hikes, and then we're just going to sit and see where it is. If the labor market turns negative. If the growth rate of inflation falls, like it should, Right. We see it in other data lines, used car prices, Shanghai ports, shelter inflation falls, the growth rate of jobs start to decline. Mortgage rates should fall. Bond market yields should fall. Mortgage rates go down. It doesn't actually take much to get back down to five percent. Actually, if the Federal Reserve wanted to a snap of their fingers, they could get. You know they could uh, do mortgage-backed security purchasing and and get the market fluid. Mortgage rates would fall with it. So they are in the housing reset uh, mode, which means they know the housing market is in a recession. They know jobs are being lost there. They don't care, right? Because they they made a full commitment on uh, destroying this sector in the sense that they believe that prices have accelerated too much. They need a supply and demand balance. Again, being part of team higher rates early on this year, you see that, you know, we we were heading toward another 22 to 27% home price growth year if things would have stayed the same, not a healthy marketplace, but they're getting kind of what they wanted, right? The growth rate of pricing is falling. The only thing that hasn't occurred is total inventory data is probably not back to where they thought it should be. Uh, And then the housing production is basically done, right? The, The single family construction is over with. Uh, the multifamily construction, if things get weaker, that's over with. If that happens, then job losses will come in the construction area, which means 2023 uh, is going to look different than 2022. The, the completion of housing is going to be falling that entire year. If all these things happen with the growth rate of inflation, jobs being lost, recessionary data, bond yields, mortgage rates 5% quickly, right, in that, in that sense. And I always try to emphasize this. Um, the majority of Americans are always working, right? So when rates fall, it's a disproportional benefit to housing. This is part of the housing dilemma itself, right? The system is designed to keep home prices up or the housing market up because housing is whatever twenty percent of GDP. They, they they want that sector of the economy moving because most people are employed because most homeowners and home sellers. And the reason we talk about home sellers is home sellers are traditional buyers as well. And the damaging data that we all got to see this year is when rates got to six and a quarter, boy, the new listings data stopped and it started to decline. And they're like, oh no, we're not doing this. Okay, which is the whole process of, do we have a mortgage rate lockdown? We've talked about that in articles and podcasts as well. When rates fall, you should get some more listings, right? And uh, that will help, sales, but it also gets inventory. And again, if people list their homes and demand isn't that good, that home will stay there longer and prices will functionally work out better. My argument is that when we're below 2019 levels, the pricing isn't as functional as it should be because more listings, more inventory forces sellers not to be as stingy. And having the new listings data decline as much as it has, is just like No, that's not what we want, right? We want a functioning marketplace, right? Because my own price growth models, I'm assuming, let's just say, we're 42% home price growth since 2020, which is crazy to uh, say this, but it's the truth. We're about 19% overvalued from what I believe. But just saying that and not following through with inventory channels and rates and demand and where we are in the economics, it's lazy work. We have a lot of people that like to do lazy work. They just throw out percentages and let everything go. No. So we have to look at the data weekly, monthly, see where the economy is at, see where the bond mark is at. And you just got to grind it out each day, right? Not a lot of fun for a lot of people. So I think that's the difference now. And we have to see if all those things come into place, let's say over the next six to eight months or in 2023, you can see rates go back to 5%, which it would be similar to what kind of what we saw Uh, In the early 80s, after the big increase in mortgage rates back then.
0: So I think that's my question is like, how likely are all those things falling into place in your mind? Like, do you feel like
1: everything is lined up perfectly for that? Because in 2021, my six recession, red flags weren't up in 2021. The Fed had no rate hikes in the system. Uh, In 2021, shelter inflation was still hot and it it can keep on going a lot of things have changed, right, uh, uh, in 2022. The Fed rate hikes are already here. Mortgage rates already went up a lot. The mortgage-backed security is already stressed. The growth rate of the shelter inflation is already falling. The used car prices are already falling. The Shanghai ports still LA ports, their prices are already falling. The sixth recession red flag is holding up because the labor market is honey badger labor market. Okay, so it's it's consumption. So the counter to my argument that everything is lined up for that is that the U.S. economy stays, again, very firm and doesn't break. And that's that's our talking point all year is this tug of war between the U.S. economy with household balance sheets exceptionally well. And I and I say this because for over 12 years, I've heard this argument from people on Twitter. Household balance sheets aren't great. No credit risk profiles, no data reading, same people, same all the times. Without a global pandemic, we'd still be in the longest economic expansion ever recorded in history. So that's the tug of war. Higher rates, higher uh, interest charges, uh, demand slows down. The next stage is job loss recessions from service workers, renters, renters not being able to pay, shelter inflation comes down. Then on top of everything else, you have 910,000 uh, hundred ten two-unit constructions that are need to be built out and put into the marketplace. So you have everything in place now that wasn't the case in 2021. So uh, uh, the, the backdrop is different. The only thing I could say that would break this is that the U.S. economy stays very firm picks up like we saw uh this this year gdp growth negative the first two quarters third quarter it's positive uh again there's a lot of inventory export data that's pretty wild that's moving that data line but we've created 3.8 million jobs that's 3.8 million americans that have income uh household balance sheets still have 1.7 trillion dollars of excess savings into it and the since so many households have let's see 65% of the country basically have mortgage rates between two to 4%. So their biggest debt that they have, their household service debt is very low and their wages are going up. And I think that's, that's the one thing that it's missing in this context. Nobody ever talks about this, but homeowners who have such low rates, their wages have accelerated. Nobody wants to talk about this because it may, oh wait, that means things aren't as bad as people thought. Yeah, it isn't. But you have to be a homeowner and you've had to be able to refinance your debt like everybody's did in the last 10 years. It's the new purchases that don't have that ability. So if the economy starts to soften, like the Federal Reserve has forecasted, like the shelter inflation picking, uh, uh, slowing down, then rates could fall. And I mean, literally as fast as it's gone up, getting back toward 5%, not that big of a deal, especially if the 10-year yield falls. But as of right now, Even though China's in a recession, Europe is in a recession. Japan's in a recession. The U.S. is the last man standing, right? Um, The stock market has lost a lot. The bond market has lost a lot, right? So different marketplace than we did in 2021, right? Stock market is still rising back then. The bond market was still high. So the, the wealth effect destruction is already here. Fed rate hikes are in. Some of the inflation growth is falling and now you're getting more supply on the rental side so you connect the dots right we always say be the detective not the troll put them all together you can make a case for that right which is a much different backdrop than 2021 when people assumed that some of this stuff would be transitory and go down on and so on without aggressive rate hikes well no that wasn't the case aggressive rate hikes dollar being strong you know for me anticipating the dollar being strong being deflationary that was thrown out after the russian invasion right so you don't have that kind of benefit and you're you kind of in a commodity war. but realistically when you have the dollar this strong and world growth slowing china's not even reporting their economic data anymore commodity prices should fall energy is a different ball game all in itself because that's basically almost world war three at this point uh with europe from uh russia saudi arabia and 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 China kind of working its way as a, as a weapon against uh, Europe. That is something you have no control over. But everything else, copper prices have fallen, haven't recovered. Lumber prices have fallen, kind of tried to make a little slight recovery, nothing much really. So the commodity prices are there. The supply is coming for rent. The economic data is getting weaker in the sense that it's not as strong. So we'll see. That's just that tug of war. And it's the labor market, right? It's To me, it's what is left right now is job openings and jobless claims
0: well and two of your recession red flags are are pegged to you know so so you talk about labor and you talk about consumer spending and we're coming into the holidays and i know so this is this is something to watch right like do we have a big holiday season in which case that just underlines the fed's fear that people have plenty to spend but if you're a homeowner and you've got really low debt there and your wages have gone up and you know i think that's a it's a tale of of different Americas because there are a ton of people who have very low um, shelter costs right now, and then there are a ton of people who you know have had to uh, sit through all this rental inflation, all that. So, as we're coming into the holiday season, what do you think? You know, if if people spend a lot you of money, really,
1: yeah. If you're looking at holiday, you really want to see the next jobs report because, uh, or you know, hol- what what retailers do is that they give you a heads up, and it's really how much labor they put onto market. We call that seasonal labor adjustments. So we get a big surge in retail workers to get ready for the holiday. So the jobs report will be key on that. If they believe they're going to have big, they're going to hire people already, and get that, and then they'll let them go after the holiday. So we'll get a good glimpse of that in the next jobs report, uh, it, or you know how, how how you really want to see how retailers hire based on seasonal frame or where they think uh, uh, spending will be. And again, it really does go to the homeowner versus the renter. Um, And I I still to this day think people do not understand how well homeowners have it off. They have these fraudulent grifting tactics that they've used for over 12 years now. Uh, They use nominal debt increases without adjusting to the actual DPI, disposable income per the rate. So you see these really bad forecasting for 12 years homeowner is good that was living in their house for a long time renters on the other hand different story big inflation data even the people that are buying homes now they're still based on a principle that they could i mean think about it. if you could buy a home at home prices here with mortgage rates here, you're doing well off
0: you are you're doing right? well
1: you're doing well off right you're not you're not like you know people say well they're overpay or they're overextending no they're you because of the qm laws you really can't overextend but in general, that's a small pool of the housing stock out there. Another thing that's completely lost is that when you talk about the majority of housing stock, 40% of plus people don't even have a mortgage, right? Uh, the majority of the housing stock really has very low rates, very low uh, d- uh, housing costs, and their wages have gone up. So you have to look at the stock of people, and this is why you know the FICO scores are still very good. Because, I mean, to be be able to buy a house where prices are here now and where rates are, you're doing well. There's no more exotic loan debt structures that could facilitate that kind of uh, uh, home buying. Uh, Or even the cash-out refinances, which still today doesn't get enough discussion. A lot of the delinquencies uh, after the housing crash were actually cash-out refinances with exotic loan debt structures. Not the case anymore, right? Fixed product, wages rise. That's the benefit of being a homeowner. And it really kicked in. You could really see this in 2020, 2021, and 2022, how well off this group is. And that $1.7 trillion of excess savings, that's a lot of them, right? Uh, so uh, this is why the, the Fed really doesn't want the stock market to rise because they feel that impact, uh, that kind of wealth effect, those people can buy things at, uh, you know and keep things going. So the wealth effect is down. Of course, home prices aren't negative, but the stock market, the bond market, investments like that has taken a hit. Crypto has taken a hit, you know, stuff like that. Uh, so we're, we're we're just in a much different spot, just generally in the economy now than we were last year. Uh, so uh, it, it makes for a very fascinating 2023 on all aspects. Uh, uh, probably for me, like the most anticipated year ever you know because uh, of course none of us knew covid would happen of course we're dealing with the covid recovery uh that that's that's a whole event in itself but here we actually know what's coming um uh and we know where the data lines are currently which makes why why 2023 is 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 going to be really interesting uh because we see the current marketplace much clearer than we did you know let's say january of 2020 where you know covid shutting down the world wasn't, wasn't a, a thing was just starting at that phase.
0: So true. Well, we're just about out of time. So we're going to put a pin in, in this conversation towards the end of October, you were talking about, Hey, here's where we could get to, here's how we could get to, uh, under 5%. And here's, you know, how fast we could do that, depending on these variables. So I know we'll revisit this. Yeah.
1: So so yes, definitely. If you if you, if you want if you want, I mean, it, it's it's bad to even say this. If you want to see lower rates, the economy has to get weaker, and we and the positive is actually getting more rental supply in there. Uh, that's this way you could actually connect the dots onto what happened last year to what happens next year. And we're starting to see the rental inflation data start to cool down. And it just doesn't have the kind of velocity as people think, but you can connect the dots. Hey, listen, there's almost a million two unit constructions coming, right? And the massive shelter inflation on rent is biting finally. So this means that uh, landlords have less, you know, uh, capacity with certain households to increase rent as, as fast as they have. Uh, and then you add them two together. And that's why, you know, when I went on CBC, I said, listen, the growth rate of inflation for rents cannot sustain itself. Wages are not growing like that. Supply, more supply is coming. You put those together, especially toward the second half of 2023. The growth rate of shelter inflation should cool noticeably enough. And it, it is good for me to see that the Federal Reserve actually has made a comment on this, that they do understand that there is a lag in the CPI data. I'm
0: going out. Well, Logan, thanks again. Great episode. And we will talk to you again in a few days, but appreciate you as always.
1: Pleasure is all mine, Sarah. How have the 2022 housing market forecast changed? Or... How is the industry navigating the shift
0: to a purchase driven market? HousingWire's premium content program, HW, Plus, answers questions like these and offers a variety of member exclusive benefits that are tailored to what you need to stay competitive and agile in today's fast paced market. Go to housingwire.com forward slash membership to join today. With your HW Plus membership, you get access to longer form digital content, the HousingWire magazine,
1: member-exclusive rates to in-person events like HousingWire Annual, and more.
0: Thanks for listening to HousingWire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.